It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring very special guest star, Mr. Martin Tishi. Yeah, baby. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Hello, real guest. Hi. How are you, Martin? Very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Um, well, you guys have already read the email, many of you, not all of you. So um, I want to give you a little backstory. Uh, oh, I forgot about this. And I've got two screens open today, so I can't bring the chat all the way up. So it was almost exactly a year ago. It was right before the road rally last year. I was sitting in the office, I think probably like on a Sunday night, working at like, I don't know, 9, 10 o'clock or something. And for some reason, I was going through music for something. I can't remember what. And I came across a piece called Across the Valley by Martin Tishi, Exhibit A, right here next to me. And I hit the play button. I was listening to it uh, pretty loudly uh, on the stereo, which you guys know so well with my NS10s behind me. And I'm listening to this thing going, holy crap, this is really, really, really good. And the more I listened, the more the hair on my arm started standing up. And by the end of it, I was literally wiping tears from my eyes I, I, Martin would prefer that I probably say because the piece is so emotional, but it's actually a big anthemic piece, kind of almost Pirates of the Caribbean-ish to some extent. Uh, but the reason that I got all choked up was the quality of his work. And I was just so proud of him, even though I didn't know him. He was like nobody. He was a name on a, you know, on, on a file on my computer. And I was listening to this thing going, wow, our members blow me away. This guy's so talented. Oh, look at that. He's got a phone number here in L.A. So... I called him and I said, Martin, this is Michael Lasco from Taxi. And there was a really long pregnant pause. He goes, okay, uh, well, thank you. Why are you calling me or something? He was really shocked that I called him. And, and I said, look, I'm just calling to tell you that I think you're amazingly talented and that this piece is, is quite amazing. And uh, so we started chatting and um, Eventually, well, I, I played it at the Road Rally. For those of you who were there last year, played it twice, I think, at the Road Rally in the Grand Ballroom. And yep. people were like, wow, that sounds amazing. Well, and I will let him talk eventually, I promise. <laughs> but there are a few reasons, at least a couple I could think of right off the top of my head, that it sounds so amazing. Um, but you know what? Maybe I should just play it first. Let's do that. And I've got a special treat for you guys. I actually figured out a way to play it through the software, but it's a little hard to control, so I can't absolutely guarantee that this is going to start um, right on the beat. Uh, but we're going to find out. So hopefully it will. And this is Across the Valley by Mr. Martin Tishi. Please work. Please work. No.
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I've got to tell you guys, uh, it was really hard to make that work, by the way. So don't expect it very often. There are no controls for stop and start. The only way I could stop it and start it was by changing the, the, the source of the video. Um, Anyway, so I will admit that I was doing air conducting on like the 10th play that night <laughs> sitting here in my office. Uh, I was embarrassed and there was nobody here to see it. I was still embarrassed, but it was just that piece is so incredibly powerful. So now, why is Martin so good? Um, could it be that his grandfather, uh, is your grandfather still alive? No, no. no. Okay, well, sorry to hear that, but um, he was a violin teacher. Not only was he a violin teacher, but he was a violin teacher in Austria. So you grew up, um, from how old have you been playing? Well, I started, or rather I, rather I have to say, I had to start playing the, <laughs> playing the violin uh, at the age of five. Yeah, well, that's not so early. I would have started at it like, you know, as soon as you could stand upright, but okay. <laughs> and my mom was a pianist. And, wow. and so I grew up in a very classical environment. Did you ever listen to any rock and roll as a kid? Did they in the house ever listen to like not, the no, Beatles or anything? No, Nothing. No. Wow. Not until the age of ten, when I got my first radio clock. You know that oh, right. really old right. in the eighties. <laughs> yes, with the little the cards that flip over with the numbers. Like click. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that was more or less the first time I really got in contact with pop music. Wow, was your mind like exploding when that happened? Uh, no, no, no. It was. It was. What is I mean, this I, trash? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. It was just ah, okay. I mean, you don't. You hear the music everywhere when you grow up, but at, just at home, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really, really listen. Had a chance to really listen to it. So, so and then that's that's when I started to get in. Of course, then I liked it. I still I loved classical music all the time. But in addition to that, I got interested in in everything else. I'm guessing you were a big like ABBA fan. I was. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you got me here. That was the very first um, uh, group that I really was a fan of. Wow. I'm still a fan. Of, it's a of course, I'm still, I still, still am, yeah. That's funny. Um, ABBA and the Bee Gees, that was it at oh, that time. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you, but I actually knew the Bee Gees. Yeah, I knew uh, one of them. I, yeah. I met one of them, yeah. Um, okay, so you started playing at five years old, um, and I remember from last time we went out to dinner, you've actually played like soloed in a big deal concert situation, right? Um, wasn't there something that, that was just last year in Vienna? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I didn't think you did it at yeah. six years old, right? <laughs> uh, so he, he grew up in Vienna. He came here. Uh, he. Um, uh, started his own marketing companies. You read in the email, um, and and eventually ended up marketing uh, Vienna Symphonic Library (VSL), as many of you know, um, and kind of combined, you know, your skill sets from a couple of things to have kind of this wonderful job. But uh, you still play. I mean, first of all, you should know that all the solo uh, fiddle work on that was all Martin, um, and everything else in there was all sampled in virtual. Right. That, yeah. to me, is mind-blowing. That piece, to me, is so incredibly convincing. Uh, the night that I first heard I just kept listening over and over, going, is it live or is it Memorex? I could not tell uh, how much of it was sampled and how much of it was human. I could tell that the solo was human. That much I knew. 
Um, anyway, uh, I think I even asked you that on the phone that night for reassurance. I said something like, was that you soloing? <laughs> uh, so what is it about classical music that, um, now let me rephrase that question. Uh, is it torture for you? Let me ask it this way. Is it really hard for you working with VSL that when they've got a new product coming out and they've got a new library and I'm guessing that you hear it, you know, some months before the public is aware of it. Um, a little bit. Yeah. It, does that blow your mind? Like, wow, I can't believe they've taken it to another level. Well, um, yeah, sometimes that happens. Sometimes, of course, I'm, we're working with the developers, so we, we kind of kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've been doing this for almost 18 years now. So that's a constant process of uh, improving and bringing out new technologies and new software uh, applications and new samples. And well, yeah, this has been going on since uh, the early 2000s. So even though you, your world is primarily classical, you've also done rock. Uh, Martin took a detour and uh, tell them what instrument you played, which well, is about as far, was, away, <laughs> as far away from, uh, from violin as you At the you age can. of like 15 or 16 or so, I, I played the drums for yeah. a few years. And it was a lot of fun yeah. and, and really, you know, really rock it hard kind of and um in a rock band and a country band it, right no that was rock that was just okay. just all yeah you know people teens getting together and playing all kinds of rock and whatever right but um after a few years i and i really wanted to to do this professionally but after a few years i i realized well i am a pretty good violin player and it would take me quite a long time and energy and and practicing to get to a level of playing drums as well where, as that I would really could be could be good at or be comfortable with. So why don't you go back to your original instrument? And then I started practicing really hard and and um, yeah, that, and then of course, uh, then I got into country music. Uh, as a so, fiddle player. As a fiddle player. Then I, I started, I do, I did at that time, I did a lot of with the electric viol electric violin with uh, avant-garde rock really far did, out did you have like a everything. big silver sequined cape and the whole deal <laughs> <laughs> no but i had a lot of gear that i and amps and you know oh, did you ever really, do looping with it like i did looping awesome. uh, and uh, everything all the sounds and the, with effect pedals and like guitar <laughs> pedals and everything and um, then somehow I got a call from someone who, who played in a, in a country band, and I said, no, I'm not sure. And you, you, ne you need to know that a country and bluegrass has quite an audience in, in Europe, especially in Germany, Austria, Hungary, Poland, Northern Italy, so Switzerland. They really do a lot of country. It's just a scene that is a little bit, it's a closed scene. You don't, if you're not interested in country music in, in Austria, you don't know much about that scene. Do they have like a country radio station? No, they, they, they don't have a station, maybe on the internet right now, but at that time there was nothing. There was three radio stations in Austria at all. <laughs> and, and do they have like country nightclubs where people do they line have, dancing they and have, stuff? They do line dance, they have fairs, they have, uh, wow. there is an Austria Country Music Federation that gives away awards. There, so there is, 
every, it's small, it's nice, it's, it's all a little family, but... Um, so like, how was it being a country? It's funny because you hear, you know, a piece like Across the Valley and you don't think of this guy as a fiddle player. Uh, although back in the day when I recorded, you know, orchestras on occasion, um, some of the best fiddle players, some of the best violin players called themselves fiddle players. So the skill set of, of being a classical musician versus a, uh, an electric violinist or a, a bluegrass violinist, you know, which one's harder? Which one requires a, a, a higher skill set? Um, I think, well, the higher skill set is always practicing classical violin playing because that's real. There's so, and I, I'm not a good classical player at all. It's, there's yeah. so much technique in the I, I can I, tell you suck, but. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of editing in the, the software. <laughs> but, um, the thing is, I always like to improvise. Yeah. And I always, and with, in a little bit of jazz and rock and all that, and uh, that's, then I, with, for example, bluegrass, this high speed music, then the classical technique comes in handy. Okay. But when you get a, when you have also a background in rock or pop or whatever and groovy music, then you kind of bring it together. And some people can do one thing good, the other thing not so well. Some people who really, at, at least at that, that changes now. When I grew up, a lot of classical musicians tried to play jazz or blues or whatever, and that really didn't work. Interesting. In the meantime, I hear a lot of young guys coming out of Vienna, fully trained, um, experienced classical musicians, and they can do everything. So that really, there's a change in culture, or maybe also in culture in, in education in, in Austria. Probably the internet um, exposing course, them to a wider of range of stuff. Yeah, if, yeah. if you only had three radio stations yeah. back in the day and now they've got unlimited resources. Right. Uh, that's cool, good to know. Um, so uh, Martin mentioned Vienna and I wanna actually give a little tip of the hat to his wife, Claudia, who Martin showed up today Hopefully I can do this without spilling. The plate is actually a little bit crazy looking, so it's hard to see. But that is authentic Austrian um, strudel that Claudia made sent over. So uh, Martin and I are going to enjoy a little strudel during the show today. <laughs> and, and you guys aren't. <laughs> That's really good. Wow. And I, the staff, I actually put it in the kitchen so the staff could enjoy it. And they were all very impressed that Claudia put the rose petals all over the plate. They're from the garden, yeah. <laughs> Remind me to send you home with the plate. Because we will steal the plate. We're known to be plate stealers. Um, wow. All right, show's going on hold for me because <laughs> I'm chewing. Um, that's for you, Claudia. That's for Claudia. <laughs> That's really good. Okay, so I'm looking at my notes, sorry. Um, all right, so one of the main reasons that I wanted Martin on the show today is that for years now, as Taxi has progressed into doing um, a lot of film and TV music, and more and more of our members are doing orchestral stuff and they're using sample libraries of virtual instruments, and we hear a lot of stuff where it's like, okay, somebody went out and spent 500 bucks or $1,000 on a really nice library, 
doesn't sound very good. And I've come to learn from some of our more experienced members that you could have a rather inexpensive string library or orchestral library and make it sound really good if you know what you're doing. And then there's the question of, well, what does that mean if you know what you're doing? So Martin is a guy who not only has it in his hands, but grew up immersed in classical music and understands what each component of the orchestra should sound like, which I've come to learn is the real secret to taking maybe an inexpensive library and making great sounding, executing great sounding music with it. So I asked Martin today to bring some stuff that's kind of before and after 30 second snippets of some samples um, with articula or without articulations and dynamics and stuff, and then afterwards. So, what are you guys talking about? Spiked what? You're talking about drinking again. Do you guys ever <laughs> watch a show and not drink? Ever? <laughs> um, but something that I, I want to talk about is tell them about where the stuff gets recorded now. Tell them about Synchron. Okay. So, um, I start with where we recorded the last uh, like 17 years or 15 years. So we had a place built, um, and that's important to know because it's a huge difference to what we're doing now. Also in terms of library, um, the products that we're releasing. So we recorded um, Vienna Symphonic Library in a place uh, that we specifically built for recording orchestral samples. Okay. And it's a rather dry environment. So that, and the, the samples are recorded that's in the stereo and rather with 0 0.8 seconds uh, ambience, okay. Okay. Okay, so that you can, with the uh, samples recorded center stereo, so you can take them and place them everywhere in the stereo field and with the reverberation that you want to right. achieve. So, um, and and it's you, very, using, it's, I'm guessing, digital reverb at that point? Of course, point? you're using convolution reverb or algorithmic reverb. Okay. So, um, it's. A, that's why it's a very flexible library and you can, can do anything with from really dry environments, hybrid production with from electronics, hip hop, to the real Hollywood big sound, and this is churches, whatever. For all instruments, this would for be everything, for yes. pianos and there would be several pianos, not just one piano, several, but maybe four or five different two, pianos. Two pianos, uh, several string ensembles from solo violins to chamber ensembles orchestral size, large sizes, um, appassionato strings, several variations of brass ensembles, solo instrument, everything. So it's it's really, and woodwinds, percussion, and I'm gonna show you pictures of a percussion setup that will blow your minds <laughs> in a moment. Okay, so, um, and that's what we've done for the first like 15 years. Okay. And then Vienna Symphonic Library, the company acquired um, a scoring stage, a huge building in Vienna, that was originally built in the 1940s for recording film orchestras. Okay. And we renovated this and reopened that in 2016. And we did a lot of Hollywood scores there already for Hans Zimmer, Harry Gregson Williams, and wow. all kinds of stuff. So that's. And you've that's, been in the room on a couple of work days for these projects, right? Have, didn't I see a picture of you sitting in the control I, I, room? Yes, I. Yeah, some. <laughs> Sometimes I was there, of course. I, the, and, well, a lot of these guys would give up a body part. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was there. Okay. <laughs> so, and of course, we're not only recording film music, music there, we are also recording our own samples there. 
And now with a different concept that that hull has a decay of uh, 1.8 seconds. So we're recording uh, the ensembles in place like you would for a, for a film score. Right. Or for any orchestral recording. So we're recording them in place and with the natural ambience of the hall. And this is why this new series of libraries is called the Synchron Series. So there's Synchron Strings, Synchron Percussion, Synchron Effects Strings. Uh, but we are also porting the old existing libraries ah. to the ambience of the new hall elect uh, excuse me <laughs> electronically right. with uh, convolution we of course we we sampled measure, the, yeah. we sampled our own hall <laughs> wow. and that's called that's a, a application called mirror vienna mirror pro so with that application <laughs> that, that's kind of built into the sample player and so you can use the i mean if you buy this it's called the synchronized Apasionado strings, for example. So if you buy the synchronized Apasionado strings, you have the old samples, but they are ported uh, to the new hall. Can you listen yeah. to them in the original dryer form as well, or is everything ported over so it sounds like it was? Uh, no, you can listen if you if you reduce the uh, the uh, impulse responses, the the, ah. the, the, the dry wet, yeah. the dry wet uh, fader. So you can reduce that, yeah, and you can listen to it. It's form. all become. So awesome! I mean, it really is. The I, I possibilities are extreme. Yeah, in the yeah, meantime, right? I want to go back to you know working in a studio because there are all these things that you can do now that you know back in my day you move the microphone closer or farther, you threw moving blankets on the floor, you know anything. To, well, uh, so I want to show you guys a couple of pictures, and I believe that we'll be able to talk over this stuff. Um, Let's find out. If we go silent, just look at the pictures. <laughs> but the first thing I'm going to show you uh, is actually, this is one of the, I think one of the most misunderstood things that causes people with sample libraries of all price points to make music that sounds eh. And it's because they don't understand the floor plan of an orchestra. So this is a bird's eye view shot from Synchron, the studio that Martin was just describing, but it's reversed 180 degrees. So everything you're seeing is actually a mirror image of what the real deal would be, but this is real. Um, okay, so, oh great, I'm able to talk over it. So um, at the, um, Martin brought me a little cheat sheet. So uh, at the top of the shot, you can see the percussion setup. Um, and the percussion is kind of a backline spread across a room typically. And, and Martin and I were talking about this before the show, that there are actually kind of two standard large orchestra formats. There's like an American version and a Russian version. I think it's, that's what they call it, yeah. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, if they can get together and build a space station, you'd think they would be able to agree <laughs> on which one of these floor plans works best in an orchestra, but okay, we're getting there. Um, maybe the Russians were meddling in the floor plan. <laughs> That's a joke. political joke. Sorry, I never get to use political humor and get away with it on the show. Um, so you've got the percussion, um, with the timpani is like dead center in the back. And then the other percussion that ranges throughout the whole back, if you look at it carefully, it's kind of small on our screen, but I know that it's bigger for you guys. Um, and then in front of that, in front of the percussion on the left side in reality, which would be on your right side are the French horns, 
Um, the woodwinds are directly in front of the timps, um, and then the brass is on the other side. So for you guys, it would be the brass is on the right, and the French horns are on the left, with the woodwinds um, being right up the middle, or right there in the middle, in the back, in front. Of, you can see the timpani pretty clearly, so there you go. And then, um, in the front, oh, you've got microphone positions in there too, that's cool. So in the front for the strings, you've got on the far right is first violins, then next to them coming over, you know, 20 degrees to, toward the left in your shot would be the second violins, followed by violas, followed by the cellos, um, or celli, 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 right? Well, celli. in English, it's very often cellos. I'm trying to be all European, okay? Uh, look, I'm ben hanging out with a dude from Australia. Ben. I mean, Austria. <laughs> I did that as a joke. I know he's from Austria. He says people often confuse the two. Um, and, the, and the double basses are actually behind the, the cellos and next to the brass. So the double basses have to be careful because they're getting spit on. Well, actually, it's the, the violas and the, and the cellos are getting spit from the trombones all the time. Um, but this is, it, this is just me as a relative layperson saying that we hear stuff that comes into taxi where somebody's trying to do a big, um, like a, a trailer piece. And it's like the composition is pretty good, but you go, something just doesn't sound right, doesn't feel right. And it's because they don't understand. They're working with the sample library and they're taking each section and going, hmm, where should I put that? Oh, I'll put that over here. Oh, let me put um, the double bass down the middle because that's where a bass guitar would go. And it ends up sounding convoluted. So my theory is that these instruments like to be heard in a stereo mix the way they would be heard in the room. And they feel better that way, it's more organic. Maybe uh, the samples talk to each other and no. Anyway, so I wanted you to see the floor plan because um, as you can see, it's, it's impressive. Um, anything you want to add to what I've said because you know more than I do and plus I want to have another bite of Claudia's. <laughs> no, but I, I, I think there are two, two things to that. The one thing is uh, if you listen to classical music, music or symphonic music, that is to say because uh, modern, modern film scores are not classical, they're symphonic music. Right. So um, you're used to a special, uh, to that, you're used to that sound and if unconsciously mm -hmm. and if you if something is not right, you can't say why it isn't right if you're not an expert but you say that it just doesn't fit or doesn't work and the other thing is there is of course there's a reason why the orchestra is laid out the way it is a historical reason how it all evolved it, tell me more and about that that's that's about the acoustics and about the, the the loudness of the instruments and of course the strings that are softer need to be in the front Right, and you have fourteen or sixteen first violins and ten or twelve second violins because they carry the melodies and stuff like that. So it's also it's a very delicate, balanced um, thing. How many musicians are sitting where, and that that evolved over like hundreds of years until we have that that status we have right now, and that's that's why it's so balanced. So because, of course, then the horns are very loud, so they are in the background. The percussion sometimes is the, the, the loudest of them all. 
think of a triangle or stuff like that. Right. So they're in, totally in the background. So that's, yeah. And, and and there were no microphones and no PA systems back when these absolutely. footprints were, were designed. So it had to rely on the floor plan, the layout of the symphony combined with the acoustics of the hall. And this is the most important point. You don't have to, uh, you can't look at the orchestra uh, alone. You always have to think about the room. And this is wow. why when mixing and using play, the room is an instrument itself. So you have to work with both entities, the orchestra and the room, to get to, to what you're looking for. Makes perfect sense. This is such like an awesome first date for me. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I, I love this stuff. I could talk about this endlessly. Okay, so now, uh, let's see, here's a shot. That's a shot, uh, obviously not a bird's eye view of the room set up um, for recording. And I'm guessing that this, that's a full orchestra yes. record. So that, that was probably for a scoring thing versus sample library building. Exactly. And you can see, gorgeous room. Anybody would want to work in that room. Um, okay, and this... <laughs> Could you, when you get a VSL percussion library, that's what you're getting right there, folks. I mean, not, look at that. Not yet, but uh, we, we're starting. We're starting, yeah. <laughs> but we have all this. It's all stored at Synchron State. So Martin did actually say to me, I asked him, we were out to dinner, I don't know, three, four weeks ago or something, and I said, so Martin, one day can I come over and, uh, and, and be there, you know, and do a, a taxi TV from Synchron? He goes, yeah, we can make that happen. So uh, I'm going to hold him to that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look at that room. I mean, it's just, uh and, and, you know, honestly, just my own personal preference, I look at that room and I just want to take um, like one, like a Sheps stereo microphone, the kind that's got both capsules on the same axis and rotate them. And just, I used to take a microphone like that, put it on a piece of twine, hang it from a ceiling in a room like that and just lower it, lower it, lower it and sit there and listen in stereo and go, there it is right there. Mm -hmm. You know when you hit the sweet spot and everything becomes magical. No compression is needed. No EQ is needed. It just sounds like it does in the room. And it's, uh, to me, that's the greatest. So now um, let's look at the control room, boys and girls. <laughs> look at that. Ow! Um, man, I could get lost in there. So, <laughs> what kind of console is that, by the way? That's a 96-channel uh, uh, SSL Duality. Wow. That was probably like $5,000, right? Yeah. <laughs> it came with a discount. <laughs> exactly, $5,000 a week. Um, and funny enough, as I was looking through, uh, Martin sent me a link to a bunch of these photos. I was looking through and I saw the captions on one of the photos said Dennis Sands. I went, oh, that's got to be. It's like 40 years ago when I was first starting out in the industry, um, there were two guys that owned a place here in Hollywood called Group 4 Recording and Dennis Sands was one of the engineers. He was the, the main orchestral engineer and a partner in the studio and we belonged to the same small organization, then small organization called SPARS. And I knew him way back when, and then he became, uh, as Martin confirmed, one of the top three scoring engineers probably in the world. And so there was a picture of my old buddy Dennis Sands sitting there in that room. Just gorgeous. 
anyway uh, all right back to the live shot there we are okay so that was as much technology as I've ever given you guys on an episode of taxi and there's the chat room hello again everybody okay so um, I'm gonna check my notes real quick see if there's anything I want to cover before we start playing you before and afters um, Oh, something really important that I totally forgot to mention to you guys. Um, not only will Martin be at the Road Rally this year, um, but uh, a company called Ilio, that is the U.S. distributor for all of ESL's products, will be at the Road Rally. They were a sponsor, I think, like eight or ten years ago, um, and, and they're coming back. And Am I letting the cat out of the bag to say that there will be some product offered at some sort of discount? Absolutely, yeah. So that's exciting. So that's kind of why I wanted to do the show is to wet your whistle a little bit and help you. For those of you who are thinking about getting into orchestral or maybe you want to upgrade your library, um, Martin's going to teach two classes, um, a, a beginner class and an intermediate class. Can we talk about those for a minute and kind of sure. talk about what you're going to cover in the beginning class? Yeah. He's got notes. Uh, I need my notes too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having strudel. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's in the basic class, um, we we have to talk a little bit about technology, because when you understand uh, how does it really work, computers, RAM, CPU, um, we touch things like. Mac or Windows, because these a lot of people have these questions. What do I need to get started? Um, what's what does it work on a desktop or a laptop? Or see what different sequencers? Do you have an uh, Android version? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> um, so it's it's a little bit necessary to understand how, for example, sample streaming works. That you can uh, make informed decisions what gear to get and what which libraries and do the work on which computer and stuff like that. Do you need like really top of the line stuff? Like let's no. say you're a Mac person. Um, I know that several of our most successful members have almost embarrassingly um, mid-range computers. You know, they have like a, a five or six year old iMac that's got eight gigs of RAM um, and like a 2.3 whatever hertz uh, processor, you know, nothing exceptional and yet they're able to make great sounding recordings so it, the same is true for VSL that you can have absolutely something that's not like a five thousand dollar iMac and, absolutely and there first of all there are different products for different categories of of musicians or composers right so our entry entry-level products yeah I mean the example that I'm going to play mm -hmm. I, I've I do a lot on on a lap that's a, a 2012 MacBook Pro okay with 16 gigabyte of RAM but I can do a lot with that Wow and um, so you don't need the what you need for example just as one example uh, if you use SSDs instead of hard drives that's a huge uh, advantage and you can uh, you don't need that much RAM you tell have, them what an SSD is. Okay, as, as a solid, sta solid state drive, right? Um, which doesn't have any moving parts inside. So you don't have to wait for it to so spin up and find something on the drive. Exactly, that's why it's so quickly. It's a kind of a flash drive. Right. It's a huge flash drive, and so the the access time to 
the, the samples is much quicker. Mm. So, and this is, I don't want to go into detail here, but uh, this is about RAM preload of samples and stuff like that, which is kind of necessary to, to, to make this all happen. Um, and if you, there are several tricks how you can use uh, older computers or not so powerful computers and still create uh, great mockups or demos. So, pieces. so that's kind of the basic class. Um, so people who are just starting out should probably go to that one. And, and what are you going to offer in the, uh, is it intermediate or advanced that you're well, doing? Well, it's, I call it advanced. Well, the basic is about what you need, what about, uh, we talk about articulations. I'm still in the basic class. Uh, we okay. talk about what are, what do you need to know? Uh, the first things that you, you would like, you, you would like to apply when you are creating a melody, creating accompaniment. So yeah, basic, basic stuff. Okay. In the advanced class, uh, we'll look at how can I make um, a, a piece of music really make it alive? How, how, how can I breathe life into it? The phrasings, phrase shaping, use a lot of different articulations, tinker with the timing, uh, with uh, repetitions, with pitch, so there are so many parameters. What is volume? What is expression? What is velocity crossfading? Which is all different things. And you use all this in combination to get to... It sounds... The, um, <laughs> I, I love it, but it, it sounds overwhelming. Like there's so much to learn that I'm afraid some people may never start. But from what I've been told by our members who have, have kind of crossed the chasm is that it takes a while to get the basics down, but once you get the basics down, then you're so hungry to go farther that you can't learn the new stuff fast enough and that the the software has gotten so good yeah, that absolutely. almost anything that they can imagine is already covered in the software. It's like stuff that used right. to be a, a chore, a, a real labor to make something happen. Now you just have to know this is what I need. Oh, look at that. The software does it. Right. Right. That's exciting to me. Um, so at the Road Rally, when you teach these two classes, uh, will there be any times where you'll hang out at the ILIO booth so yeah, that you sure. can answer questions? Because I know that people are going to go to the class and people are often shy in a class. They don't want to raise mm -hmm. their hand and, and, you know, maybe they're a little shy because they don't want to look like they don't know what they're talking about yet or whatever. So they'll, they'll want a little one-on-one -on -one time with you. Yeah, so. I'll be at the ILIO table. I'll be at the bar. So. <laughs> Okay, well, you know what? They will be at the bar. I know this crew, the people watching Taxi TV, will definitely be at the bar. That's all these guys do is drink during the show. Um, um, you know, I should probably be getting kickbacks from the liquor distributors. Um, okay, so uh, that's, uh, I'm so excited and, and I'm really grateful that um, you got me back together with Mark Hiskey, who's the CEO of Ilio. He, he's a very very smart, very understated guy. He's really cool and and you wouldn't know how much he knows because he, he's not a braggy kind of guy. No, know? absolutely not. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but he's, he's great. Yeah. He is. He's very And he's very been smart. running the company for 20 years now. Wow. Together well, with his wife, Shelly. Right. Um, so I'm, a, I'm really excited to have them back. I really, really am. Um, Okay, we've covered that, covered that. 
Oh, uh, one more thing. Uh, not really a sales plug, but I, I don't want people to be intimidated by what they think is, oh, I can't get that because it's $3,000. And I actually thought because VSL has such a reputation for being, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a Rolls Royce product, um, that I thought that it would be priced above beginners. And, and you made me aware that the, you guys have libraries um, that are a few hundred bucks, right? Exactly, yes. It's What's like the, the entry level starter? Well, we just, there, there are two packages. One is called the Vienna Special Editions that you can start with something around 300 or $300. And of course there will be, especially on these products, special pricing at the Taxi Road Rally. And um, you can expand within the special edition family of products to add a little bit. Okay. And you can, there's also upgrade, upgrade prices to the, to the large products. But then just, just actually two weeks ago, we um, released a new product, the Vienna Smart Orchestra. And that's uh, currently for $175. Wow. It's the entire orchestra laid out over the keyboard. So it's a different product. It's not a typical sample library. Right. It's a product for sketching, for live playing, and for, yeah, for, for creating quick pieces because the, the entire orchestra is on the entire keyboard. So is that something that might be a good entry-level product for people who've dreamed about doing orchestral, but, uh, or is that going to be like training wheel? Should an experienced user that wants a sketch pad get it, or should an inexperienced person get it um, well, as, a, as a gateway? If you're an inexperienced user and you, can, and you take the Vienna Smart Orchestra, then you can really fake it really good. Okay. Because you just play those chords and it works. Wow. Uh, if you just sold a hundred of them. <laughs> if, um, if you really want to get into uh, virtual orchestration and learn more, then you should start with something like the special editions because then you have all the instruments separately. Uh, and, and that's actually, that's a lot of, how shall I put this? Um, a lot of demos or orchestral mockups don't sound right because the, the people who created them didn't uh, create the, the tracks of each instrument separately. So they, ah. they played the strings like a keyboard player. Right. Which is, quickly sounds like playing an organ. Playing an uh, organ. I, I, an example that I had in my notes was, I've heard stuff where people would take like a, a violin sample and um, just go down as low as they could go on the violin to, because they didn't want to take the time to create a, a viola. And it just didn't <laughs> yeah, sound yeah, right, right because right. it was the, the wrong, in the wrong key for the wrong <laughs> instrument, you know, so. So what, 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 was I, what I'm about to say is that if you really want to learn uh, orchestral instrumentation and you, you should uh, play your first violins, your second violins, your violas, your cellos, your basses separately, and everything should be a, kind of a nice melody in itself. Okay. Then you get a real nice string ensemble. If you play the entire uh, orchestra like on a keyboard, then, then it quickly sounds not so right and like an organ. Mm. But uh, the Vienna Smart Orchestra overcomes this a little bit because it was specifically created for playing everything uh, on the keyboard. And so you can 
you can it works great for for not for everything but if right. you want to have quick results and it depends depends but let's face it anybody who buys anything none of us read the full manual we all go to the quick start guide right, right. so this is, is vsl's answer to the quick start guide for orchestral it's music creation Vienna smart orchestra is extremely quick you just bring it up and play it and it sounds great um <laughs> Wow, th that's going to be very, very popular at the Road Rally. Uh, wow. Uh, I didn't even know that was coming, and uh, I'm excited about that. Um, so can you play some of your before? Uh, actually, before, are you set up to play any of your own personal pieces? Can you play another piece that you like? Um, or do you want me to play it? Uh, uh, what's are the... One, not one of the before and afters, but um, what was the um, something with elves? Uh, dances with elves? <laughs> dances with elves, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that piece was brilliant. Um, would you mind playing it? Okay. Um, let me see. I wasn't I, I don't prepared, wanna... but I, I should have it here somewhere. I probably still have it on my hard drive. If it's a pain in the butt to find it, I can probably. Here it is. I, the minute I heard that one, the the night before the, you know, before last year's rally, when I first discovered you, um, I remember thinking the title was perfect. Uh, you could absolutely hear that piece. I mean, that could have been score in the in the movie Elves uh, or Elf. Um, it could have been. I mean, it's Santa's workshop. I think. No. I see some 
funny commercials. Really? With help? I mean, there's nothing really Christmassy about it, but, but elves um, working in the workshop. Anyway, I loved it. Um, and, and they were trying to, to give it a genre, and somebody said that it, it was like, uh, I think it was Paul Croteau said, uh, oh man, I lost it now, but um, like uh, light orchestral dramedy music yeah. and it was it was great anyway so okay now we're gonna do before and after so they can hear stuff it's just quick someone yeah. asked yeah there was a real violin and the rest was was uh woodwinds from the Vienna Symphonic Library so there you go all right so tell them what you're gonna do now with the other stuff um so yeah Michael um asked me to to prepare something um how does a piece uh with created with sample libraries uh, sound when you don't really tweak it, just the, the, the normal samples when you compose it, and how does it sound when you really uh, tweak the phrasing and the timing and use different articulations and stuff like that. So um, I just yesterday I put this together, and I'm going to use this is what you hear is this 30 seconds is now what I'm what I'm playing today, and uh, and I'm going to use the full-blown version of that at the road rally so okay. I still have to do that I will <laughs> extend this okay and and add more instruments and add more things and I will throw in all the all the all the uh, things that we're going to talk about all the tips and tricks like what you can do to improve everything I will I'm going to throw everything into this piece so rather than so just that talking have, about it you can talk about it so here's what it sounds that we have examples and that's Oh, that's going to be the extended version of that what I'm going to play. So now this is we, we play the, the untreated version first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here it goes. Okay. That was the world's longest bow. <laughs> that was the 12-foot bow right there. <laughs> yeah, this is exactly the problem. Or the, the thing, there, there are no static tones in symphonic music. Oh, that's it right. All, it always, there is always, always some change. More vibrato, less vibrato. Uh, the crescendo, the crescendo. There is always something going on. Even if, if players are playing, try to play a static note, they don't. Right, there's still going to be and, the human body involved right, in it. Right, yeah. and so that's and that's the, 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 the main exactly, yeah, and that's the main thing uh, why there's so much work involved when you really want because you can't have these uh, um, imperfections. If you have these imperfections in every single sample, it it wouldn't work because you have you have crappy samples and the the mistake shows up every time you play that sample. It has the same mistake <laughs> in there. You so it's compounded crap. Yeah. <laughs> So you have to create uh, perfect samples and um, change them and tweak them uh, and make them imperfect after the fact. Okay, and, and how do you know where to draw the line on that imperfection? Um, because too much of a good thing can be too much yeah, of a good thing. So 
That's just ear training yeah, by listening to more of this music. By, by listening, listening to to symphonic music, of course, is is the key to everything because you 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 need to have a vision, an idea in your head where you want to go. And if that, you, of course, sample libraries help you because you can try it out. Right. Does it sound does it sound okay? I'll do this. Does it sound real? Not really. Let me try something else. I do this myself too. I sometimes I use articulations that are not really meant for this yeah. piece now, but it sounds right because this this passage needs something else. Do you have else like a miniature version of your grandfather sitting on your shoulder? Absolutely, going, Martin. <laughs> no, no, that is not right. <laughs> no, but when I compose, he's there. Awesome. Um, Okay, so now let's hear so the, the, the so-called treated version. This is, this is how it should really sound like. Maybe I'm sitting in front of the microphone here, maybe no, the sound. I don't know, they were com commenting saying okay. that it sounded really good. Okay. Okay, now can you play quickly back to back, untreated, then treated? So this is untreated. The treated version starts more piano and builds, evolves. For example, Let's listen to the first violence here. Uh, and the other version sounds like this. Goes on the like samples this. are so yeah. good that you can almost get away with it, but yeah, the, you know, it's pretty obvious. Or if you do, uh, like. you heard that one portamento, yeah. yeah. If you throw in a portamento every now and then, <laughs> right? So that, that <laughs> it trains or tricks the that it, it's it's it sounds very real, yeah, and you can do it all the time because then it. Sounds crazy. Nobody does wah, wah, wah all the time. But if you use it uh, when it's when it's uh, kind of authentic, when yeah. it's appropriate, then then it works. Wow. Yeah. Um. Uh, what else? <laughs> What else? We we can see the screen now. You would see how the articulations are changing. So I'm using different versions of legato, slower uh, slurs, 
Ah, sorry. <laughs> That's my... Uh. As Claudia, did you guys like the strudel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm using different legato versions. I Sometimes it's sustains, sometimes legatos. Um, and then, of course, like I said, I'm using three, actually, th- in this piece, two... two uh, ways of controlling volume that one thing is expression and the other thing is uh, velocity crossfade. Okay. Um, what about bowing technique? That's something that, uh, here, s- uh, scoot back in yeah. so we can both okay. be in the shot. Um, bowing, before uh, it was pretty obvious the super long, you know, sustained note that was a bow longer than anybody would ever play with. Um, how does somebody who's starting out in doesn't know orchestral music. I mean, bowing is a whole part of your education as a string player, you know? I mean, so it, how, I, how do they know? Yeah, I don't think it's that complicated. I think uh, when you start out and you have two categories of notes, the short notes and the long notes. Okay, that's, that sounds like an oversimplification, <laughs> that's, that's but I'll buy it. Very easy. And then um, you can, um, you think of does the note like like wind instruments or any other actually like a synthesizer synthesizer is there a, an attack on that note or is there no attack so does it is there a nice swell does it come in easily and softly or does it really has a strong attack and um, I think these are the only things things that you need to start and you need to know in the beginning uh, is this like the staccatos that are the short notes that mm-hmm. are played in this piece that, 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 that. These, uh, the louder you play them, the harsher they get. That's the built-in thing, the, the higher the velocity, the harsher they get in the library. That does the, the library does that for you. Okay, and, and that's so, what would happen in real life. Exactly. Yeah. Right, and okay. And um, so, and you think, you have to think in, in, a, in an arc. So in a, in a, in a like, Da, 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 da. You hear when you sing it. Singing is a very uh, useful uh, tool to listen to what you want to do. Okay. Because if you sing that phrase, da, 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 you realize, okay, I don't have any. I don't. I have maybe there's an attack on the first note, but on the the other notes are uh, slurred. Mm-hmm. So they're they're easily transitioning from one note to the other. And then you create. With the velocities of volume, you create this arc. So sing it, right? And you get an idea what you want to do. Uh, how is it working with brass and woodwinds? You're obviously a string player. You've spent a lot of time playing uh, in, in orche- orchestras. Uh, for somebody who now conquers strings and they they've got all the articulations all the dynamics everything figured out should they tackle each one of the disciplines within the orchestra like in a sequence or can they try and learn them all at the same time if they're working on strings one day go oh i wonder how that would work with brass and try it or should they master one and move on to the next it's it's partly very similar because you have the same principles, like this, like I say, with attacks and the flow and, the, and an arc and stuff like that. That's valid for every instrument. And the dynamics as well. The harder right. you blow, it, yeah. it's almost like the Fletcher Munson <laughs> curve in engineering. You know, louder it is, you know, the the more um, 
that's the word I'm looking for, the better it sounds. <laughs> um, that's it seems overwhelming to me, um, but obviously millions of people have mastered this, so it, it's not overwhelming. Absolutely. Don't let me scare you. Um, and what's the product, again, that makes it good for people like me? For the like, Vienna Smart Orchestra. Okay. <laughs> for, like, dumb and dumber guys, the Vienna Smart Orchestra. Um, awesome. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask Martin one more question, but if you guys want to start asking questions, because we've got a half an hour to Okay, so Bria. Okay, so Bria's got questions. So let's take some questions. Okay, first question. Fantamulonis asks Martin if you had to give one tip for getting a better brass sound and or mixing with strings, what would it be? All right, so I'm going to repeat the question because she's obviously four feet away from the microphone on the back side. Back side. So um, Fantamulonis want to know if you want to get a better brass sound. What was the uh, if you like, what's a tip for getting a oh. better brass sound and or mixing with strings? Okay, what's a, a a good tip for getting a better brass sound in the virtual world? Uh, depends on what you already have. <laughs> um, there are, I'm not. There are several sample libraries out there, from Spitfire, from East West, from Berlin Brass, whatever. Uh, you can. I, it's hard to say uh, what, what tip I could give you. Um, the Vienna Special Editions that I mentioned, they have, they have, they're also available in sections. So you could also get uh, the strings only, or the the brass Special Editions, or the woodwind Special Editions separately. So they, I don't know the price of that. Like it's like maybe 120, 130 dollars for a brass. A library so, like this so you can just run that solo you don't need it to if you've already got strings and, and all the other elements of, of a, an orchestra but you don't like the brass that came with that yeah you library can, you, you can, you can exchange it, it and, and you must but uh, you should take care of the environment if you have a library for example that was recorded in a concert hall or on a scoring stage mm -hmm. then the ambience is kind of baked into the samples so if you're getting like the special edition brass sections, then you would need something for it's called Mirex. That's a little convolution plugin inside the Vienna Instruments player that puts um, the brass section in, in, in a scoring room. stage or in a concert hall as wow. well. So when you're mixing different libraries, you have to take care of the room that it matches somehow. It's mind-blowing to me that that can even be done. It's, that's I, what's happening all the time, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I come from a world, sorry, a, a, a Lexicon 224 was like my first digital reverb, and that thing blew my mind. And uh, prior to that, I, I was using live chambers where we literally had like a Bose speaker on the floor and a microphone on a pulley in the ceiling, and we would throw moving blankets on the floor to, to shorten up the decay time, bring the mic down to get more of the speaker, less of the room, raise it up to get more of the room. And the fact that you can do this now, that there's software that actually figures out, hmm, that sounds like that was done in a 3,000-seat concert hall and will mimic that for you. Um, figure it out and mimic it. You don't have to sit there and... and you have to, unfortunately, you have to know a bit about the Reaper. hall where okay. the one it, there I, I don't think there is a piece of software that analyzes 
the kind of reverb tail and applies it to something else. Okay. Um, well, then I'm really disappointed. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the box, it'd have to have a little picture of me bending over, moving, moving blankets. Um, and the next question is? Um, Shaftree's pu Publishing asks, can Martin explain when he says articulation, what controllers, example expression, modulation, etc., is he using, and how does he enter the values? Okay. Okay. So, do you want to repeat back the question? Yeah. The question is um, the different what's articulations and uh, what was it modulation, and the different controls, continuous controllers, and how do I um, add this uh, and, and work with this? Um, well, I'm switch. With Vienna Instruments especially, you have several ways of switching between articulations. Most of the time I use key switches. So in the Vienna Instruments there's a matrix like a, like a chess board with all the articulations in there and you can move in this matrix with uh, two, key two, two sets of key switches, one for horizontal, one for vertical movement. Oh, okay. So you're, you're moving through this grid and, and access the articulations. Um, and I use continuous controllers, like um, I have a little fader box uh, with uh, CC7 for volume, CC11 for expression, CC2, with, which is actually breath controller for, for velocity crossfade. Uh, then I have tons of others for more or less attack, for more or less release, for pitch. Um, so for something very specific, uh, slot crossfade in Vienna Instruments. So these are all, all little parameters that you can change so that to, to, to bring life into this. Sometimes I'm using a breath controller, which is a nice uh, way to, to shape the phrasings. So for somebody that's never done it before, what's kind of the the first step in learning how to add these things? I mean, it's great that you can control them. It's great that there are all these possibilities. Um, so now let's assume that somebody's learned, um, uh, pick one, um, you know, one of the parameters. How do they know where to put that parameter and so they can use them. I'm looking at the matrix on his laptop as I'm talking to you. So they, they, they've got the note. The note is highlighted on a MIDI keyboard, I'm assuming. Um, because uh, you're, you're yeah, yeah, did the articulation yeah. for the key switches? Yeah, yeah. so you're, um, how do you know which one to put where? Um, good question. If you start with the Vienna Special Editions, it only has five or six articulations for the strings, for example. So basically, so it's just uh, staccatos, detachés, sustains, legatos, tremolos, pizzicatos. I think that's it. So you have something to work with. You get. I'll play some examples uh, at the road rally that are just done with the special editions, mm -hmm. and it's very impressive how far you can get just with that. And and I'll um, if you start just uh, as I said, the short notes are very easy to to use because the harder you hit the key the louder the note gets that's a straightforward <laughs> thing so the long notes you you change um, the the expression or the volume uh, of the long notes mostly most of the time with uh, velocity crossfade 
Maybe I should explain what velocity crossfade really is. Yes. I would want to do that at the road rally, but not since we're talking so much about it. Give them this. a little tease. Um, so an instrument, if you, want, uh, if you want to make an instrument louder, you can, and you just uh, raise the volume, you have the same sound, uh, just louder. Mm -hmm. But and, uh, a flute or a violin or any instrument changes the sound, the louder you play, uh, the harsher or the brighter or whatever. So the, more the sound strident it becomes, right? The sound changes. So when when you when you're sampling instrument, you're sampling the pianissimo tones, the piano, the mezzo forte, the forte, the fortissimo sounds. You sample all these different, and this is called velocity layers. Okay. You sample these different um, velocities. Do you ever send send the band home and go, "Oh crap, we forgot a layer." <laughs> I don't know if that happened. <laughs> it's a very industrialized process, actually. Okay. Anyway, sorry, I didn't and, mean to pull you out of the question. And uh, so when you're using velocity crossfade in the sample player, the player plays every velocity at the same time, even if you don't hear it. So like, let's say there are, there are four velocity layers, from pianissimo to fortissimo. And you hit the note, uh, you hit the, uh, the note on the keyboard, and all these four velocity players are playing at the same time, but you're only hearing the pianissimo layer. Okay. And then you're moving the mod wheel, for example, ah. and move it up and the player switches and blends. That's the crossfade. Crossfades to the next layer and to the next layer until you're at the fortissimo samples. So that way you're uh, moving and crossfading through the various velocity layers. So when you start a note very, very softly, and you're getting louder and louder and louder, you're moving through those velocity layers using, for example, the mod wheel. Okay, that makes sense. That's, and that's what you start to use when you have long notes. And that's the most important thing. As I said, no static notes. Right. Shape your notes. And that's... You are going to be so incredibly popular at the Red Rally <laughs> this year. You are. Okay, Bria, hit us with another. No, um, do it now. <laughs> Brad Rosenborough asks, I heard that it's a good I, it's a good thing to use two or three different libraries in a single piece to make the strings and brass sound more believable. What do you think of that? I've heard that as well. And the question is, um, Brad Roseborough said, I've heard that people use uh, mix different libraries to make the sound more authentic. Um, do you subscribe to that notion? Well, uh, of course, Every library has different uh, advantages or strengths or weaknesses. Strengths or weaknesses, exactly. So people are using a lot of different libraries and, and mix them to use what they like about this library and what about like about the other library. Or maybe this one is easier for staccatos and sounds great. And the other, the other library um, has maybe some pitch problems with certain samples, so you're switching to another library. So, uh, of course, people people are always, especially for, for strings, people are always using the new, or want to, to, to uh, get the, the better libraries, the more advanced, the more evolved libraries, and that's a constant um, battle, kind of, to, to get better and get the better gear and get the better software and, and the better samples. Um, 
Uh, are there libraries that actually are relatively expensive libraries and there are some aspects of them that just are surprisingly poorly executed and you sit there and go, how could this be, you know, an $800 library and, and have, uh, you know, a trumpet sound that sounds like a, a Casio keyboard from 1985? No, I, well, I, I think the, the libraries that are on the market right now are all all pretty, pretty there's like very, a baseline. Very good and the quality is, has improved, of course, over the last 10 years, 15 years, so, or even in the last five years, there are so many different libraries and specialized libraries also coming out, uh, focusing on more on, on textures or more on hybrid uh, or soundscapes or whatever. Uh, I don't know if you saw the episode. About a year ago, I did an episode uh, with one of our members that uh, owns a library called Warp 4 Technologies. And he's just a passionate, passionate man that is very anal retentive in the best possible way. I mean that as a compliment. And he spent so much time, got great players, and made this incredible sounding brass library. Um, that, yeah, uh, I, I've got to play it for you. Something you got. I'll introduce you to him at the road rally. It, it's just a work of art because it's one man's passion concentrated on this one thing, and you would appreciate it. Okay, next question. Oh. <laughs> Mark Smerden asks, is the VSL that I got with Contact the same product from VSL itself? So the, the samples, the free samples in Contact is a subset of what you're getting with the special editions. So it's, it's extracted from and, and it's, it's, a, it's a fraction of, of what's included with the special edition. But it's the same, the, the, it's a very basic stuff, but that's the same. Okay, so it's like a, the baby version of Microsoft yeah, Word. Of, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right, the, the, the version that comes in Office, but not, yeah. Okay, uh, next question. Uh, Lamar Franklin asks, do you ever chart your compositions and then record each part separately? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, most of the composers I know don't do this for, because it's quicker just to get to the DAW and, and start composing and, and playing in everything really quick. Um, I, I sometimes, I, uh, when I'm walking, hiking or walking or, or under the shower, which is a great place to compose really, <laughs> um, uh, then I, I take no quick notes, quick sketches or sing it into my iPhone. Or but but I, I don't compose a score on paper. I hope you have a waterproof iPhone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Okay, and another question, please. Um, Mike Evans one asks, on most libraries and special editions too, you don't get long notes with a fast attack, like an accent, mm -hmm. um, and you have to layer a staccato sample on top, but it never sounds natural. Why? I do that all the time. I layer staccatos with uh, long notes a lot. And maybe maybe you um, maybe you overdo it. Maybe you should reduce the attack a bit, that it just adds a little bit um, of uh, um, of a yeah a little more attack mm -hmm. to that long note, but not not too much. So you have to adjust it, and you have to play all, with play all with things it. Things done in moderation. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, because otherwise it, it would be obvious what it was. Yeah. Even I would hear that. Okay. Okay. Mark Smerdin again asks, um, is a composition program like Sibelius a good place to start? I have created many Sibelius scores that could do with this sort of treatment. Uh, yes, it, it works. Um, I've never worked with uh, notation programs. Usually sequencers or DAWs like from Logic, Cubase, Pro Tools, Digital Performer, you have more options to tweak uh, the samples or the lines or everything. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's not so easy with a, with a notation program. But I, I really can't tell because I never used Sibelius. Um, it's, people tell me it's easier with a DAW. Um, one of the people just asked, "What's your DAW? Your personal choice of DAW?" Uh, Logic and Cubase. I'm you. Know, I've, I've been a Logic user for like a really long time, and then I switched to Cubase for various reasons, and then now I'm using kind of both. You know, I'm so old, and I've been in the industry for so long that back in the day. Um, a DAW wasn't called a DAW, it was called a digital audio workstation. And people would call it a workstation, not a DAW. And when people started using the term DAW, I kept going, why are they always talking about dogs? <laughs> you know how sometimes you just hear something wrong? <laughs> I really thought they were talking about dogs. And then I realized they weren't. Okay. Um, Jean Alley asks, uh, do you EQ your samples? Yes. Um, Really, I, I'm really curious about that because the stuff sounds so good and such care is taken in the recording. Why would you need to? Uh, and what are you mostly just looking for more definition? Are you looking for more top end? Yeah, what? that depends. Uh, that really depends on on the piece you're, and it's you, you. I rarely do like have a template with my EQ settings. I couldn't use them at the next piece because right. it's totally different. Different uh, and octave, different everything, right? Different Maybe there is a. Maybe you have some staccatos and they are very harsh, mm -hmm. and you want to to take a little bit off of this harshness, or you have one note that sticks out all the time. So maybe you automate your EQ or use it. I use the dynamic EQs a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, so when you are creating that that cohesive sound of the entire orchestra playing in the room. Sometimes you want to EQ just a reverb channel because uh, in the room there is something too, 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 too much low end or stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm using EQs all the time and there's always something that, um, that's kind of a little bit of disturbing or some frequencies that you want to pull out or other ones that you want to emphasize. Yes. I remember yes. doing an orchestral date at a really big church in Fort Lauderdale once, and I kept hearing this hung, hung sound. Finally figured out, I thought it was some sort of anomaly in the room, you know, some sort of standing wave in the room. It was the timpani. Oh, yeah. They were just resonating with yeah. something else, I think uh, probably with a double bass, and giving every time the double bass player would hit a certain note, you get hung. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. Doesn't happen with samples. Right. <laughs> Dan Weber asks, are the VSL round robins random or sequential? Um, they are sequential. And 
with the Vienna Instruments player, uh, with the, the, the paid pro player, you even have access to all the single uh, repetitions. And you can, uh, if, if for example, there are eight repetitions and number six is really disturbing, you can just take it out. Oh yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> Audio Doodle asks, when playing a long phrase, how do you know when to change the bow direction and how do you do it smoothly? Okay, I don't do it. Uh, with samples, I don't care. Uh, Vienna Symphonic Library, for example, doesn't uh, specify bow direction. It's, it's a feature that some libraries have. Uh, I made the experience that you don't really it's it's not necessary to take care of bow direction because you're you're phrasing you're you have this phrase in your head and you want to make it sound like you have it in your head and you create with the library you create that arc and it's like in and with a real orchestra if you're as long as you're not the the orchestrator who who puts in uh, the the markings mm -hmm. for for the for, for bowing and the slurs and everything um, very often the great musicians figure it out themselves. So in an, in an orchestra, the, of course, they tell you this is a slurred bow and this is a slurred, uh, this isn't, they, they, these notes are connected. And I do this here, but I don't think in terms of changing a bow, I think in terms of, of the arc of the phrase. Right. That makes sense. I don't, I don't care much about it. Especially because you're a real player. And if I, I, <laughs> Well, you know what yeah. I mean? It, it, but if I do this, this staccato, for example, in this piece, ba, 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 a good player should play, a good violin player should play these as similar as possible. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't hear, this is an upstroke and this is a downstroke. Interesting. This is very educational. We should be charging you money for this. <laughs> um, and the last one I've got here is Greg Vaughn asks, um, what's the best EQ for cellos? <laughs> I can't answer it. The, uh, the I best can. EQ settings or EQ uh, the, the the brand or the the, the manufacturer. Let's, let's go. I think he's I looking for best frequency. No, uh, no idea. And, and there is no best. There every, right. It's con context. There is no. There is no answer to um, to this because that that depends. How is the cello recorded? Is it recorded in a concert hall, in a in a small studio? Uh, is it a sample? Is a sample? Does the sample have a lot of low end or not? So there is there is there is absolutely no answer to. Yeah, what octave EQ are you playing, and yeah. where on the exactly. neck is it being played? Um, what kind of bow? I, literally, yeah. all right. those things right. are a yeah. factor. Yeah. Um, Here's a tip that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, except for the fact that I've had this experience. Somebody in New York, when I lived and worked there, taught me this trick, and it worked really, really well, which is um, for recording a cello, um, take a lavalier microphone. I used to use a Sony lavalier, but I'm guessing almost any good lavalier would work. And take some foam, just regular old foam, and wrap it around the, the microphone a little bit, and then stick it in the F hole, 
and nine out of ten times that will sound better than putting a three thousand dollar mic three feet away from the cello wow. it's just one of those weird things i've also found that using a lavalier mic on the high end of a piano versus like a neumann 87 or a 414 or something Lavalier mics, uh, well, inherently have a peak around, you know, probably 2,500 to 3K um, so that it grabs the voice more. And that just, it sounds really good on a cello. Okay. So there you go. So Dennis Sands, if you're watching the show today, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> oh, that was him. <laughs> yeah, he's right. probably the one that taught me. Um, all right, let's see. We still got four minutes left. I've got a couple more. Oh, Bria's got two more. All right. Yeah. Um, Kenda Potter asks, how do you handle tempo for a big or orchestrated piece like Across the Valley? Do you adjust tempo section by section or measure by measure? I'm not sure if I understand. Measure I, by tempo. Well, and the, the tempo in the, uh, by this piece, I this is a piece that um, that has to has that doesn't have tempo changes. So it's right. This is a you is create a track. It for a cue. This is, if you create for a cue, you should use the same tempo so that it, they can edit. And and do you remember the night that I called you and said I'm blown away by this piece? How did you learn how to create something like this? And his answer was through taxi, of course. <laughs> I was so flattered because it. You know what? It, that's how we're going to close out the show today. Is I'll play across the valley one more time, so that people can um, check it out. You've taken all rather than scoring a whole movie. You created all these sections that each have a little different attitude, a little different texture, a little different feel. But you're on the same motif throughout. You're on the same tempo throughout. And an editor could take any one of those pieces and use it as a starting point. And that's really part of the definition of a cue is it's one thing. And I mean, other than the huge dramatic ending, which obviously you'd have a hard time starting the piece with that. <laughs> but it's just, I think, beautifully executed. Thank you. Um, all right, with that, I want to remind you guys, first of all, I totally forgot this, and, and Bria was kicking me under the table throughout the entire episode. Um, subscribe, like us, share it. That one doesn't show up very well. Um, and that little bell thing uh, over there. Yeah, wherever it is, uh, the bell. It's next to the subscribe button. Yeah, click the bell next to the subscribe button. That way you get alerts when uh, really cool stuff is happening like this show. So don't forget the Taxi Road Rally. Registration is Thursday night, November 1st. That's when you get your badge and everything. Um, and the open mic start that night. And then the panels start on Friday the 2nd. Um, and don't forget, we're starting out this year's Road Rally with an incredible teacher, um, uh, Laurel Ostrander, who's a really talented video editor, did a thing last year that just blew away everybody who was smart enough to be in the room for that. So I'm bringing her back to have her start the entire Road Rally out. And if you ever had the dream of kicking everybody else's butt with your instrumental cues, particularly for reality TV, um, although this isn't limited to just that, but it would be largely helpful in that uh, area. Don't, don't come late. Be in the room at nine o'clock sharp on Friday morning, um, uh, November 2nd, because you're going to be blown away by her. 
Um, I will be publishing the schedules. It's essentially done. There are just a few people. It's like, oh, I can't make that time. So I'm, I'm doing the final adjustment of moving things around. But hopefully by the end of this week, I'm pretty sure by the end of this week, I will have the full schedule posted. Um, Someone is asking if uh, Martin's going to be at the uh, eat and greet. Oh, um, would you want to do that? To, you know, at the we used to call mentor lunches. Uh, yeah. Um, would you sure. be uh, this year? They're called industry eat and greet because okay. the mentor lunch is getting confused with one to one mentors. Um, would you be available to mentor at the eat and greet? If, if you would like me to do this, yes. I would like you to do that. That would be okay. awesome. Um, can you please make a note to talk to Angel about that because I actually think she had a seat that she had to fill. So that would be great. Um, Okay, with that, uh, Martin, thank you, man. It's, Thanks for having me. It's uh, really fun. Thanks been, so much. We've become friends over the last year. We've gone out to dinner two or three times. I don't know. I, I just really enjoy this guy because he's he's got so much in his head, uh, and he's so humble and so awesome. Um, thank you. You are. You're, you're like a supermodel that doesn't realize she's pretty. <laughs> That's what you're like. I've never heard this before. <laughs> oh, no, but you know what he did here? And I actually had this in my notes that I forgot to bring it up. So we're out to dinner a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, maybe a month ago. Uh, and the waitress says, you have really nice hair. <laughs> Which he does, I guess. But, um, you know, and I thought, wow, in today's climate, if, if a male waiter said that to a female diner, there would probably be a lawsuit involved. But Martin took it in stride. He wasn't offended, uh, and we just enjoyed our meal. Um, all right, so with that, uh, where is that piece? Okay, hopefully I'll be able to get this to start. And here we go, across the valley.
And we go from the sublime to the ridiculous. <laughs> See you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys. Thanks again, Martin. Thank you.